This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. Today is a great day to study the Bible. As you listen to today's message, I pray that you're blessed as we study God's Word together. From Revelation chapter 15, the Bible says, I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire and and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and who will bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple. That is the tabernacle of the covenant law. And it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise the Lamb. We praise the Spirit that gives life to us today. God, we thank you for every opportunity that you give us to worship you. God, we worship you for who you are, and we worship you for what you've done. And God, may we never cease to bring glory to your name. With what we say, with what we do, not just on Sundays, but with all of our lives, God, may it all be for you. Today, Father, Father, I pray that you speak. I pray that you speak so that the gospel can be known. God, I ask that you will purify my heart that I can speak your truth and that you'll prepare the hearts of your people that they will hear it. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So the last eight weeks in which we've been studying the book of Revelation, I'll admit it's been pretty wild. The symbolism, the imagery, the characters of this book is fascinating, at times terrifying, and some most of the time bewildering. But through it all, we've heard the good news that this message is communicating to God's people who feel outnumbered and outgunned and outmaneuvered by the world around us. And each message in this series so far has reminded us that God is not done yet. That God is alive and awake and active on behalf of God's people. And we will not be left unprotected and we will not be defeated. 
Rather, God's going to win. Today, we study the seven bowls of God's wrath. I know some of you have been really excited about this one. Some folks just really love some good old wrath preaching. <laughs> Revelation's third series of seven, if you remember, there have been three series of seven that we've been looking through. First, there were seven seals, and then there were seven trumpets, and now we're going to get seven bowls. Okay, this third series of seven, the bowls of God's wrath, show us God's judgment being poured out upon the kingdom of the beast and those who bear his mark. Now in chapter 15, which we read together, we meet those who bring this to bear. These angels of judgment and destruction. And in chapter 16, with each bowl we see a new plague as God's wrath scours the wicked of the earth. And when I look at them, I get a little concerned. I, I just, I, you don't, I'm not going to have them on screen. I just want you to hear them. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. Then he turns the sea to blood, like that of a dead person, and every living thing in the sea dies. The rivers and the springs of water become blood. They say, you're just in your judgments. And then an angel pours out his bowl on the sun, and the sun is allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God. They refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel pours out his bowl, and the, and the earth is plunged into darkness. They cursed the God of heavens because of their pains and their sores. They refused to repent. The sixth angel poured out in the great river Euphrates, its water dried up. And, 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 and it prepares a way for the kings of the east to march in. Because they're going to gather together in order to combat against God. And they gather the kings together in a place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Don't get excited, that battle doesn't show up yet. This is just the gathering, this is the staging period. We're going to fight that battle in chapter 19. We'll get there when we get there. But today, I just want you to know it's happening. They're gathering. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and then, there was, and then it said, it is done. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, these chapters, this chapter in particular, chapter 16, doesn't really inspire meditation at first. As a matter of fact, it kind of, I want to turn my face from a, a, a passage like this. I want, to, I want to look away because of its violence, because of its grotesque harshness. In fact, some people have trouble believing in God precisely because of this sort of imagery. This sort of wrath on display. It seems like the punishment doesn't always fit the crime. And it makes us want a different God. One that wouldn't do things like that. Now to best understand what's happening in this text, in this last set of sevens, 
I want to remind us of some of the basic hermeneutical principles, the basic principles we've had for studying this passage that may help make some sense of what we're reading. And I've said a lot of these to you before. First, I want to remind you that the imagery in these passages is symbolic. All right, that the imagery given us in these passages is vivid and fantastical, and it's that way for a reason. It is meant to get its hooks into us. Okay, the vivid imagery is meant to grab us, and it's meant to not just inform us intellectually, it's meant to ignite our emotions. And the way it's going to do that is by reaching our imagination. So the images are vivid. Okay, we've seen this before when we talked about the dragon. Okay, it's not that we as Christians believe that Satan is an actual dragon with wings and scales and all of that. We don't believe it, but we believe that Satan is an enemy who wants to devour us. And one of the easiest ways to catch the imagination is to compare him to a beast like a dragon. He's a great monster that longs to devour. Okay, it's not that we think that somehow beasts are going to climb up literally out of the earth and sea and everyone's going to go, those look pretty awesome, let's join them. That wouldn't be the response from a normal person. But human government and false religion are absolutely devastating and devouring the people of God. Okay, second, I want to remind you that the book itself is not linear history. Okay, in other words, it's not laying out a blueprint for the end of time that we can read and say, oh, when there's three sets of seven, there's going to be these 21 things that happen in this particular order. And once we've seen the 21 things happen, then we'll know, wink, wink. Okay, it's not laying out a blueprint like that. It's not linear. Instead, what you're getting is this cycling over and over as we look at the same instances again and again and again from different perspectives. Okay, if you remember, it's not, this book is not chronological. If you remember when we studied chapter 12, chapter 12, when the dragon wanted to eat the lady's baby. If you weren't here for that, you were just like, what? <laughs> it was wild. Uh, and you should have been there. Uh, and so when we saw that, okay, but then we saw what? That's, that's the Christmas story. Doesn't sound like it. But that, that's that Christmas. It's, that happened 90 years before right here when, when he's writing the book. So it's not that he's always doing chronology in order. Some of it's going backwards. Some of it's going forward. These three sets of seven, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, are not a sequential list of 21 things. Rather, they're three views of the same seven things. And they're not even meant to be seven in order. It's seven as a symbolic number. And when we talk about three sets of seven, seven is the number for perfect, completely perfect. And three is the number for completion. And so when he says there's three sets of seven, this is the complete completeness. This is completely complete. Perfectly perfect. Okay, that's what's, that's what's happening as he's unfolding these visions. And each one of them, if you noticed, each one of these sevens ends on a high note. And just as we thank God that it's finally over, the cycle starts again. And we get it from another perspective. Do you remember Revelation 8? When we were finishing up the seals, we got to the last seal and there was 30 minutes of silence in heaven. It was opened up and it was like, and then heaven goes still. And we're like, oh, Whew. 
We survived. Finally, a little peace. Nope, it's trumpet time. Let's make it happen. And then we got the seven trumpets. And, and you look at Revelation eleven fifteen. You want to talk about the seventh trumpet. Listen to this. The angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become... We're on the edge of our seat. The kingdom of the world has become... I'll find it here. <laughs> the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Oh. Now you get it? <clears throat> the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Boy, that's a great place to go ahead and put a bow on this and end it, isn't it? What a great finish to the book of Revelation. But instead of ending, we go right into the interlude with the dragon and the lady and the beasts. All right, I bring that up, that there's this three cycles of seven, and, and they're viewed from different perspectives. I want you to get this. The seals give us the event from the perspective of the saints in heaven. Okay, the, the, the trumpets give us the event from the perspective of the earth, and today we're going to look at the bowls, which show us the event from the perspective of the throne of Jesus. But I want you to notice how the bowls that are in chapter 16 that I, that I just briefly skimmed are actually, the, they're a repetition of the trumpets. Okay, so if you, if you have your Bible, you can open it to chapter 16 and you can kind of read along. But, but what happened in trumpet one was that uh, the trumpet one affected the earth. And bowl number one affects the earth. Trumpet number two affected the seas. Bowl number two affects the seas. Trumpet number three affects the rivers. Bowl number three affected the rivers. Trumpet number four affects the sun. Bowl number four affects the sun. Trumpet number five is about the pit of evil. Bowl number five is about the throne of evil. Trumpet number six and bowl number six are both about the river Euphrates. Okay, so what's happening in this set of these bowls of God's wrath is the same thing that happened in, in, in the second set, the trumpets, just from a different perspective. Each of these sets, by the way, is telling the story of redemption. You say, Adam, that didn't sound like redemption when you read those bowls. That sounded pretty rough. Here's the story that's being told. Human rebellion and sin leads to God's judgment and a call to repentance. God pursues people back into relationship with God. Okay, last interpretive rule I want to remind you of is, 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 is a rule that is, it's a safe rule of interpretation, not just for Revelation, but for all of Scripture. I want to remind you of this, uh, that a text almost always cannot mean for us what it did not mean for them. Okay, a text almost always cannot mean today for us what it never meant for them. Okay, that, that when God spoke to God's people, God intended for them to hear a message there in their time. They're not writing down gibberish so that us 2,000 years later will be like, oh, now we get it. Okay, when God speaks, God speaks for God's people at that time. <clears throat> when we forget this rule, we come up with some really out there stuff. 
so that all of a sudden Apache helicopters are the locusts in this book. And, 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 and someone is the Antichrist, what JFK, Scott Bayo, whoever you want to throw in there. Someone, <laughs> what? I just jumped right out. That just jumped right out. <laughs> Young people, it was Charles in charge. Um, <clears throat> he's in charge of our days and our nights. Um, this got off the rails really quickly. But that, that's the kind of thing we do when we think it doesn't, if it's completely disconnected from what they were understanding uh, then and there, it now has to be something that... that we get stuff like Apache helicopters and uh, JFK as the Antichrist or as um, we, get, we get something else. We get, uh, what do we got? The vaccine as the mark of the beast. Folks, that's not, that's not good biblical interpretation because it completely misses that it had to mean something for them. Very often what we want to do is we want to look forward when instead we, we, we should be looking backward. That we, we, we think it's mysterious, so we start looking forward to try and understand it. But what's really going on is we need to look backward. If you listen again to the language of, of Revelation 16, there are words that are used that are really important. Think about these. Plagues. When have you heard that word before? Egypt. All right, sea and fire. Moses, for crying out loud, makes an appearance. The tabernacle is mentioned. What story is the author pulling all of this from? All of these allusions are coming from the Exodus story. We're so busy looking forward that we've missed the obvious reference going back. All right, Alistair Begg has a good rule of this where he says, he says, uh, make sure you make the plain thing the main thing and the main thing is the plain thing. Don't try and make it more mysterious. It's already hard enough. All right, he's talking about this Exodus language in order to make a point. Something is happening in this text that is assuring the faithful children of God that their oppressors, be it Egypt, in this case, Babylon, last week, or Rome, what's happening in their life, or China, or the United States, or any other government that's going to oppress the children of God, it's telling them that government is going to be dealt with by God. Okay, I want to take the rest of my time to talk about a key element to this text, and to last week's text too, that like I mentioned before, makes this text seem like something other than good news. And that's the word wrath. I have two major points that I want to make. Uh, and I want to make them clearly so that we can rightly hear what this text is about. First, and we mentioned this last week, although it was briefly. Uh, first, I need you to know this text is saying to us, saying to us that God's wrath is real and it's just. Okay, I know I just lost some of you right there. I know, but hear me out. God's wrath is real and it's just. I want you to look at Revelation chapter 15 and verse 5 one more time. 
There's, it's easy to read over the parts that don't really seem all that clear, but, but pay attention to me right here. 15 and verse 5, as, after this I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is, the tabernacle of the covenant law. You may have, I saw the temple of the tent of witness. Or you may have, I saw the sanctuary of the tent of witness. Okay, that phrase, the sanctuary of the tent of witness, the, the, the tabernacle of the covenant law, that phrase is used another place in Scripture. And I know that you Old Testament, all you Old Testament folks that love it, y'all might get a little excited, but this one's even, there's like, there's like the 800 or 1,000 question on Jeopardy. It's from the book of Numbers. Numbers, chapter 1, mentions the sanctuary of the tent of witness. And it's the place within the tabernacle where the presence of God and the moral law of God exist. So all of this vision that's going to follow. Every bowl of wrath that gets poured out proceeds within the context of the presence of God and the holiness of God and the moral commands of God. Now, all of those things, God's presence, God's holiness, and God's revealed will are meant to lead to human flourishing. They're meant to lead to human growth, not human destruction. Remember, when it comes to our righteousness, we're not comparing ourselves to our neighbor. Right? I, I'm not looking at Chico and going, well, I stack up all right against Chico. I'm probably fine. I, as, we're not comparing our righteousness to one another. We're not comparing our righteousness to, to our neighbor. We're comparing our righteousness to God and the holiness of God. And there is no comparison at all. And our righteousness at our best moments is like filthy rags. The holiness of God absolutely decimates our pride. And this is critical to understand. Because the reason God's wrath must be shown is because we think we are better at being God than God is. The reason God shows God's wrath is because I think I'm a better God than God is. I look at what's going on and I say, I do that differently. Or maybe, maybe you've, you've, you've said to yourself, you know, if God were really loving, God would fill in the blank. All of a sudden, I think I'm better at being God than God is. Look at Romans chapter 1. Can't talk about the wrath of God without addressing Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 18. Listen to this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people, pay attention here, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What do they do to it? Suppress the truth by their wickedness. They, hold, they push it down. 
Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. And in their thinking, they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings. Glory, the God, God's glory was revealed. And humanity said, no, thank you. We suppressed the truth of God because we wanted something else to come out of God's mouth. And we did it so often that God who loves us and wants us to flourish has to get our attention. So God's wrath is revealed more and more because we're obstinate. Scripture's clear about this. No one is under the wrath of God except those who choose to be. No one is under the wrath of God except those who choose to be. I, I know you know John chapter 3 and verse 16. I know you know it. Go ahead and start it. For God so loved the world, good, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Now look at this. I like 17 better than 16 right now. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You say, Adam, that's amazing. That's great news. Finally, you got some gospel going. Exactly. But how did we get from there to the wrath of God being poured out? Well, keep going in this text and look at verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. That the reason there is wrath poured out is because people rejected God's good light and chose the darkness. God wants to save. Some people walk around thinking God is so mad. All the time he's angry. God wants to save. God loves you just as you are. He loves you enough to not let you stay that way. But he loves you just as you are and nothing's going to change that. God's wrath is revealed because we suppress the truth of God. So rather than receiving God's truth that's meant to be good for us, we push the truth down and we end up in wrath. Now the wrath of God doesn't work like human wrath, and it doesn't look like human wrath. Because the wrath of God is pure, and my wrath isn't. The wrath of God is sinless, and my wrath isn't. The wrath of God is loving, and my wrath isn't. But wrath is the holiness of God, destroying anything not protected by the blood of Jesus. In fact... If you look at Scripture, the wrath of God is aimed primarily at the dragon and the beasts. As a matter of fact, if you, if you look closely, what, what, what often gets called hell in your Bibles, uh, what, it, what gets called hell was created first for the devil and his angels. Not for humanity. 
But when we align ourselves with them, we become recipients of wrath. If you remember when I worked through Revelation 16 really quickly, verses 9, verses 11, verses 21, when we see people experiencing the brokenness of the fall, what do they do? They blame God for it. They blame God for the things God is trying to save them from. The wrath of God is real and it's just. All right, second point. The wrath of God will eventually be finished forever. Okay, the wrath of God is real and it's just, but the wrath of God will eventually be finished forever. Wrath is not opposed to love. But one day, love will consume wrath. And nothing will stand against the love of God forever. Look at Revelation 15:1 again. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them God's wrath is completed. God's wrath will not last forever. God's wrath has an end date. It will be finished. If Revelation chapter 16, the next chapter, we go through the bowls and look at what verse 17 says. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Now that sounds exactly like the statement that Jesus makes from the cross in John chapter 19. Later, knowing that everyone or that everything had now been finished, so that scripture will be fulfilled, he says, I'm thirsty. Now there beside him, there is a jar of wine vinegar and they soaked a sponge in it. They put it on the stalk of the hyssop plant. They lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. It's done. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. It is finished. It's done. God's wrath has an expiration date. And maybe... That expiration date for you is today. Maybe that expiration date for you is today. Christian, what you live under today is not the wrath of God. You will not live under the wrath of God. You live under mercy not wrath. Christian, you live under mercy, not wrath. And, and you go through this day and you say, my day was hard, but I made it. Thank you, God, for your mercies. You go to bed, you wake up tomorrow, and what do you get? New mercies. Every morning, I live in mercy, not wrath. Stop trying to place yourself back under wrath. Stop thinking of yourself as one slip up away from hell's fire. Love wins and mercy has been given to you forever. And you are no longer under wrath, but under mercy. And you may be disciplined because God is a good father, but you are not under his wrath. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you don't yet know Christ, 
Okay, everything I just said about you're not under wrath, you're under mercy, everything I just said, that's, that's your story, Christian. But if you don't yet know Christ, I beg you, stop resisting. Stop suppressing. Stop running. Stop carrying the weight of your own having to prove yourself. Stop and breathe. Just breathe. Know this, you are loved and you are chosen. You are loved and you are chosen. Accept that you are loved and you are chosen. You are known by God, chosen by God, desired by God, loved by God. And there is nothing you can do that will make God love you less. There's a love that never changes no matter what you do and what you've done. Today, I hope you claim God's mercy for you and let God's wrath expire and be finished. I ask that you repent and be immersed in his loving mercy, be washed in the blood of Jesus and gain the victory that God wants you to have If, that's, if you don't know him yet, if you haven't given your life to him yet in the waters of baptism, I want, I want, I want you to think about this. I want, you to, I want you to think about what your spirit is saying. I know earlier when I was talking about the wrath of God, boy, I sounded like a, a 1950s hellfire and brimstone preacher. It was real. It was just. Yes, it is. But I hope you see me now as a 21st century preacher who loves you and is begging you to come to the life God has for you. Because the gospel is the truth back as it was in 1950 and just as it is now. I hope you hear me telling you. I, I, I want you, if this is your heart, if that's where you are, I pray that you'll listen to these words. And I pray that you'll find a way to say to God these things. God, where you have pursued me and I have run, I am sorry. Kenny, go ahead and bring your team up. God, if, if it, where you have pursued me and I have run, God, I'm sorry. God, where you've called me, and I've rejected you, I'm sorry. God, where you've loved me, but I've chosen sin, I'm sorry. Where you spoke truth, but I suppressed it, I'm sorry. God, when you say you want me, I believe it. God, when you say you forgive me, I claim it. God, when you say you will cleanse me, I want it. I want to be baptized today. God, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to you. And I'm saying yes to your mercy. Thank you for listening to the Rochester Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Our hope is that it was a blessing to you. If you would like someone to study with or pray with, do not hesitate to reach out to us through our website, rochestercoc.org. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.